You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 seconds, Lee's going to be talking about Time Lash. Hang on a minute, I did the other one the other week, Time Lash. That's about Colin Baker uh, was pretty good in it. Paul Darrow was in that as, as the baddie. Tekken, I think his name was. He was brilliant. I loved him. Playing it like Richard III, apparently, famously, and he loved every second of it. Thank God Paul Darrow was in it. Because let's face it, the rest of it can just happily be left on a dung heap to roll away, to be perfectly honest. H.G. Wells, that's the other thing I had a problem with, was Herbert. You all liked him, I think, but I couldn't stand the little beggar. Um, terrible, terrible acting. Rubbish use of a fantastic character that could have been brilliant. Could have been a great companion. Wrong actor. Wrong period. Story, was there one? Not sure. But the uh, the guy with the, the, the ugly face at the end, he was pretty good. I can't remember the name of the Borat. monster. The Borat. And uh, the blue thing, the blue android, what was he called? Boris. Smurfette. That's it, the Smurf, the giant Smurfette. Um, yeah, really good little elements going through it, but terrible. And the time lash, wasn't it just a bunch of glitter and... <laughs> Shut up, you've had your 60 seconds. Yes. Can I just say, it was crap. For the next 60 seconds, Mark, oh, you're going to be talking about <laughs> the talents of Wang Chiang. Oh, what? classic story. Um, one of my all-time favourite Tom Bakers, I think for most people it would be. Um, sums up that real sort of Victorian era really well. Really nicely shot as well. Um, back then you'd have all these really super brightly lit studios and there's a lot of uh, really nice... Lee's getting very upset now. No, go on, you carry on. There's a lot of really nice location shooting at night, so it looks really atmospheric. Tom Baker and the old deer stalker, you've got to love that. The cuddly rat, he's lovely, yeah. Um, and you get to see... Uh, Leela in her skin piece, which is always a, a bonus. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what else? A bit of casual racism in there as well. Um, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, generally bad, I would say. That was the right answer. Yeah. Uh, Magnus <laughs> Greel and Mr. Sin. Oh, Mr. Sin. Classic. One of the best um, monsters, I think, of the classic series. Right, you've had your 60 seconds as well. Yeah, I want to see him back. <clears throat> you're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 seconds, Simon, you're going to be talking about... Take a wild guess. The Web Planet. Oh! <laughs> the Web Planet. I'm in the, I'm in the group of people who kind of appreciates the story for the ambition that it had. Um, when you think about the fact that it actually, they constructed... A whole planet with not just one, not two, three. Was there four different aliens? Three, four. Um, you know, uh, five. Somebody's waving at me. Five different alien races, all living on one planet. Which, if you think about our planet, <laughs> now I'm getting different fingers pointed at me. <laughs> um, so actually, I quite enjoy it, and it's quite enjoyable in as much as you've got all these people like Martin Jarvis doing stupid voices just to sound like an insect, which is <laughs> gives you another level of entertainment. But um, it, in essence, um, I just like it for the imagination and the things that the the set designers and the people who construct all the costumes and the effort they went to is just brilliant. Right, that is three on the spots before we've even got to the music. If you want to know the reason why we had those three particular <laughs> on the spots before the music, buy issue 383 of Starburst, which will be available on the third Friday in November, and you'll find out. See what you did there. Zabi! <laughs> You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about regeneration so that you don't have to. 
I'm JR. <laughs> Hello, I'm Lee. I'm Mark. I'm Simon. So, okay, let's go straight in with an email, shall we? <clears throat> We've had quite a few emails about this because I put out on the internet-y the other day that we were going to be talking about this subject. And Steve from Manchester says, there's been a sea change in how regeneration is treated. The idiocy of Romana's change in Destiny of the Daleks aside, in Classic Who, regeneration was really only used as a background conceit to enable the show to survive the loss of the lead actor. New Who is increasingly using regeneration as a plot device. We get the silliness of being able to grow back a new hand in the Christmas Invasion, the nonsense of growing a brand new Doctor from the old hand in Journey's End, and the wholesale cheapening of the concept by allowing River to regenerate just because she was conceived in the TARDIS. Then River can transfer her regenerations to the Doctor with a kiss, and he can fix her broken wrist using regeneration energy. Regeneration used to be a significant event in Doctor Who. I think that it's now becoming just a commonplace. It also shows that RTD and Moffat aren't entirely the safe hands we like to imagine. Wasn't the advantage of having long-term fans running the show that they would understand and respect its concept and ethos? Both of them like to tell us that writing geniuses as elevated as themselves couldn't be doing with fanwanak, but their treatment of regeneration is more attuned to self-indulgent fanfic than to good writing. Aside from the proper regeneration, switching to a new lead actor for the Doctor and the Master, the only dramatically justifiable use of regeneration was the little girl starting to regenerate at the end of Day of the Moon. The other examples are just silly filler. <clears throat> the real nadir of the regeneration concept, says Steve, was the broken wrist fixing in The Angels Take Manhattan. Mod Moffat has justified it by saying that he had to find a way to fix it, as it would have been impractical to write River running around for the rest of the episode with a broken wrist. So we're now cheapening the idea just to get Moffat out of a plot hole. The broken wrist was supposed to be important in showing River's determination, but any importance is ruined by having it mended in a trice. Doctor Who is full of brilliant and iconic concepts, most of which arose from attempts to get round their budget restrictions. In Colin Baker's era, we very narrowly escaped having the TARDIS chameleon circuit repaired and so losing the iconic police box image. That is so fanish. Ooh, wouldn't it be exciting if the TARDIS could change for every new story? No, it wouldn't. It would be the slippery slope to making Doctor Who sensible and that would sound the show's death knell. Well, that was from Stephen Manchester. Passionate. <clears throat> Indeed. But the main point in terms of what we want to talk about, that he brings up in there, is that in the old series, regeneration was essentially a way for the programme makers to get around a production problem, a hiccup. Basically, what do you do when your lead actor leaves? Now, for any other show where the lead actor is also the guy whose name appears on the credits as the title of the programme, that's going to be a huge problem. But, and we've talked about the fact that they tried various different ways to get around the fact that William Hartner was leaving. You know, they did, and they managed to come up with a concept that not only got around the fact that Patrick Troughton was going to be the next actor to play the part, but that also set in stone, essentially, something that would be able to be used time and again whenever the problem recurred in the programme's future. <clears throat> yeah, continued it for the, you know, 40, 50 years, 1,000 years, whatever. <laughs> well, however long it goes. Maybe a thousand I years. will come back, perhaps, to, uh, you know, the, the uh, well, 
here you go. You've got Mark Laycock, one of the most ingenious plot devices ever, although sometimes over-mystified. Has to be said that the limitations placed on the concept in The Deadly Assassin are a worry. Now, he also says, to my mind, they all made sense up until the Watcher appeared in Legopolis. It was never really explained what he was there for. I mean, was he the Time Lord's spiritual bringer of celery? Probably. (laughs) Now, here's a question. Okay, to bring you three guys in, because I seem to be talking mostly to myself at the moment. That's all right. When is the first (laughs) regeneration? Well, it doesn't get called regeneration, does it, for a while? No, it doesn't. It's Fraser Hines, isn't it? The mind robber. Right, Lee's just mm, being facetious. Sure. We'll forget about Between it. Between Baker, isn't it? <clears throat> well, yeah. yeah. Doctor Who magazine, in their Matrix data bank, even went so far as to say that that was the first regeneration, and the other two should be discounted from the 13 regenerations rule. What other two? Uh, Hartnell into Troughton and Troughton into Pertwee. Why? Yeah. Because a bit more. when Hartnell changes into Troughton, he specifically says... He's renewing, yeah. as opposed to regenerating. He's becoming a younger version of himself. It's not he's regenerating, he's dying, and a new man is being born, mm. but the same man is rejuvenating. And he talks what? about the Doctor in the third person as well, which is a bit odd. At the start of Power of the Daleks. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> Who does he say those words to? Uh, ben and Polly, I So believe. maybe yeah. he's explaining it in a way that they can understand. Well, possibly, but, you know... Retcon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> one <laughs> <clears throat> in essence the change from Hartnell to Troughton right was to get the production crew out of a tight corner yeah William Hartnell was no longer capable of doing the show they had two routes that they, they, they could go down they could either replace him with somebody similar enough that they could get away mm-hmm. with saying it was the same man or they could replace him with somebody that was so different that they had to come up with a reason why the doctor would have changed his personality and to be honest, they kind of fudged it because they did change him to a completely new man who was totally different. But then they explained it away by saying he was just a rejuvenated version of Hartnell in mm. essence. And it was something that the TARDIS was involved with mainly. Yeah, yeah. So we, you know, at that time, I would imagine you would, as a watcher, believe that it's the TARDIS that's making. Oh, God, don't use the word watcher. Use the word viewer. You'll get everybody <laughs> confused. <laughs> Watch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the viewer. Yeah. Uh, that that, that <clears throat> is the TARDIS that would have done the renewing, rejuvenating. And or at least have had t- something to do with it. Yeah, it's a, a trigger. Or... I don't know what you guys think. I think it's probably one of the most effective visual transformations in the classic series. Mm-hmm. When you see Hartnell change the Troughton. Yeah. Do you really think so? Oh, if you look at Pertwee to Baker, that was just... Yeah, naff. but if you look at Hartnell to Troughton... <laughs> The camera's so close up and the picture's so washed out, you can't even tell it's a new guy unless yeah, you actually great. know. I love that. Didn't they have a dodgy mixing desk or something? It all went a bit fritzy. I don't and know. it gave that effect. <laughs> I've heard that said, whether that's true be. or not. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, are we, are we going to talk about our favourite regenerations now or a bit later? Well, I wasn't going to talk about our favourite regenerations. Well, we would have them. I mean, Mark obviously has one. I really like the uh, Davison to Colin Baker. Right, don't bring so that up for are. another 20 minutes. Till exactly. we get there. <laughs> <laughs> right, so William Hartnell changes into Patrick Troughton. And like Mark says, 
you know, at the start of The Power of the Daleks, he's mm. talking in the third person. Mm. For the first few minutes, it's almost like even the Doctor can't quite get a hang on the fact that he's not the same man as he was in the previous week's And in episode. that respect, it's one of the more convincing regenerations, isn't it? Mm. Because of that. But it's also one of the oddest. Yes. Yeah, yeah it's odd. And yeah, I like that. Because it's the first one. No rules were laid down. No. No. So he could look into the mirror and see Hartnell staring back at him. Well, he, that was very, very silly. <laughs> but it's there. How did they do that? Do you know how they did that? It's just I know. a picture on the glass, isn't it? It was literally a picture on the glass, was it? Hartnell Who knows? wasn't involved it's lost, at that stage. It? Some 60s CGI going on. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Of course, when Patrick Trout changed into John Pertwee, you know, you not only don't get to see John Pertwee, you don't get to see anything of the change. Mm. And in fact, this one is specifically brought on by the Time Lords. So mm. again, the word regeneration still hasn't been used yet. Mm. And again, it's not regeneration. All they say the way is they changed his appearance. That's all they say, isn't it? Yeah, Change exactly. Yeah. Well, he does kind but of bring a... it on himself, doesn't he? Because he says that he can't be on Earth because everyone will recognise him. So they decide, well, okay, we'll change what you look like then. Yeah, and give him a tattoo. That makes him blend in. <laughs> I think it's quite, a, it's quite a cruel way to finish him off, really. Mm. What, Pat? Yeah. Well, Why also, is it cruel? What, no, in fictional just seems, terms? Or? Yeah, in fictional terms. You right. just seem to disappear off into nothingness. And, and then take away Jamie and Zoe and do a donner on them. Yeah. Wipe all their memories of all the adventures they've had with the Doctor. Yeah. Aside from the first one. Particularly nasty, that. Yeah. It's like, you know, at the end of series four of the mm-hmm. new series and everyone said, oh, you can't do that with Donna, that's horrible. Well, it's not like it didn't have <laughs> precedence. Yeah. yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Uh, oh, they be... remembered anyway because they remembered in Five Doctors, didn't they? As ghosts. Do Do we know if uh, the production team <laughs> made a conscious decision not to show a regeneration sequence at the end of the War Games? Well, the fact is that it was written and they were starting to film it before they had... Um, contracted an actor to play oh, okay. the Doctor. Because it was the first time ever in the series history that it actually had a production break. I mean, apart from a couple of weeks. Prior to that, Doctor Who had pretty much been filmed and showed all year round, mm. you know, with the odd small break here and there. But Doctor Who, had, throughout the 1960s, pretty, been on, pretty much been on from November of 1963 till... The summer of 1969, continuously. And then they had... That's why this... Pat wanted to leave, wasn't it? Yeah, well, one of the reasons, absolutely. Mm. And then they uh, had a six-month break in transmission, and then it came back as a six-monthly thing. So they actually had a... So John Pertwee, I believe, were uh, signed the contract to play the Doctor something like two weeks before the War Games was finished being filmed. And at the time, it was already written, and it was all prepared, and they just decided to go on and carry on and finish it the way they'd been intending to before he signed the contract, I believe. Mm. Now, the um, when Pat obviously comes in, he's talking third person, he's a bit confused for a bit. Yeah. And then John, of course, is in a bed for a little bit of spearhead. <laughs> but, you know, getting a bit of rest. This is an interesting <clears throat> thing, isn't it, that they decided that the Doctor would be affected immediately with some kind of disorientation. Well, is there no, a reason who for decided? That? You're saying they decided, but well, that's not how it happens, is it? I don't know how it happens. What do you mean? Well, Somebody it, decided in order for the Well, the writer, writer. No, the writer. The writer. Is Robert Holmes. But what about the first one? 
Well, the first one, Paradox. there is no disorientation. Well, he's talking third person. I'd call it he talks in the third person for about two minutes. Right. In Power of the Daleks, essentially, the Doctor gets up and gets on with it. He talks in the third person a little bit. Mm. There's like a two-minute sequence. Yeah. And then he's okay. Mm. And the question after that throughout the rest of the Power of the Daleks is Ben and Polly asking if he's really the Doctor. And most of the sequence that people would think of as the disorientation sequence is the Doctor playing a little bit of a mind game with them. He's When he talks in the third person, for all the world, it could just be him having a bit of fun at their expense. There's nothing in the power of the Daleks to suggest that he suffers any kind of trauma after the regeneration, not beyond the first minute or so. Doesn't he stick a stovepipe hat on, play the flute, and generally he's a bit wibbly-wobbly? Yeah, but Patrick Trown's doctor... That was supposed to be part of Patrick Trown's Doctor's yeah, character. Okay. That wasn't a regeneration thing. Yeah. That was his character. Like John Pertwee being a pompous... To... Yeah. <laughs> that, that was supposed to carry on throughout the whole Patrick Troughton era. Mm. They just toned it down because it wasn't working. Okay. <clears throat> but there's nothing... So Robert Holmes comes along, and Robert Holmes, as we know now, is quite prepared to just throw anything at the story because he is zero bothered about continuity zero bothered about what you should and shouldn't do robert holmes whole you know thing when he writes a story is just if i like it i stick it in so we don't know (laughs) i know i was thinking the same thing but let's just carry on (laughs) we don't know whether there was a conversation between him and terence dicks about whether there should be trauma after the regeneration He just puts John Pertwee in a bed for the entire first episode because he thinks it makes good drama. And it works. It does work. But as soon as John Pertwee gets out of the bed at the start of the second episode, after the whole, you know, wheelchair incident, he gets up, he goes and gets a shower, he steals some clothes, he drives off in the car, he's perfectly fine. He spends an episode in bed, and during that episode in bed, you know, he has a go at the doctors, he steals the wheelchair... He uh, makes damn sure he's got the TARDIS key safe. You know, he pinches Mm. his shoes back off Mm. the Doctor. Mm. He knows what's going on. Mm. He's in bed, but he's not traumatised mentally. A bit of physical trauma, maybe. Mm -hmm. But we don't even necessarily get a whole huge amount of impression of that. But what happened then is, because Robert Holmes had written this episode where John Pertwee is in bed, Terence Dix, who is the script editor at the time, picks up on that, so when he writes the next regeneration story, being Robot, the one where John Pertwee is turned into Tom Baker, mm-hmm. Terence Dix is bringing the weight of received script editor wisdom. And not only that, he's been working with Barry Letts for five years. Now, Barry Letts and Terence Dix have, between them, kind of worked out what regeneration is. Now, whether they formulated an idea of how to cement the concept because you know the last two regenerations that we've seen which weren't even called regenerations were pretty woolly so whether barry letts and terence dick sat down and thought about it or whether it was just something that by the time they came to do it they'd kind of gathered and you know it was an idea that had sort of nestled in their brains that hadn't really probably come from anywhere which is how i like to think it happened but by the time it gets to John Pertwee and to Tom Baker, Letts and Dicks just kind of go, 
oh, it's regeneration, isn't it? Okay, we'd better show it then. And yeah, so, but no massive effort is put into it, which is interesting. Uh, Mark was saying it's rubbish. Mm. And it kind of does feel a bit like, okay, we've got the two actors, uh, lay them down and uh, let's just crossfade it. I mean, there we go, that dude, right, he's done. You've got two of the most high-profile chaps who have played the Doctor. <laughs> and it, Two of the most high-profile noses as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a bit limp, isn't it? It's not, it's just... Yeah, to be it's, fair, it's not great. technology at the time wasn't such that you could have done a great deal with it. Hmm. <clears throat> but they they do make a, a meal out of it by having the uh, flying Gallifreyan monk to help. Well, him, uh... I was going to bring this up. <laughs> there are two. You, you might think the regeneration itself at the end of the story is a bit of a damp squib at the end of you know six episodes of Planet of the Spiders, but Planet of the Spiders is a story that's deliberately written to show why the Doctor needs to regenerate, yeah. why he needs to have a new form, a new body, and it's all to do with you know Barry Letts bringing his. Buddhist, but it's the first time we see his body uh, affected by something that makes him change. Yeah, it's the first time the the Doctor dies and is reborn because of something else. Now, if uh, kind of yeah, because of an outside influence. Mm. In the first, he uh, is old. He's old. He's wearing a bit thin, so he just rejuvenates. And in the second one, it's given to him as a punishment by the Time Lords. Mm. But in the third one, we see him die and be reborn. Now, if Barry Letts and Terence Diggs hadn't throughout their tenure and in Barry Letts' script for Planet of the Spiders and Terence Diggs' script for Robot made such a deal of regeneration and the explanation of what it is, because Letts and Diggs did like to explain things, if they hadn't explained it, if Planet of the Spiders had just gone by and because of the whole Buddhist thing, dying and being reborn into a new body, being shown literally on screen. Then when Tom Baker came to change afterwards, maybe it still wouldn't have been set in stone. And the whole, oh, the Doctor gets killed by the radiation blast could have been, again, for the third time, the odd, another odd one out, in a way. And then when the fourth change came... I think because they've gone to such great lengths mm. to explain it. Exactly. Let's you've got, you got someone like JNT who takes over, who's all about the continuity, then it's... Yeah, it's going to set it in stone, isn't it's it? It's stuck, yeah, mm. because Let's and Dicks have overexplained it to the point where you can't do anything else from that point forward, mm. but, except you know, kill the Doctor and have him reborn as a new man. Uh, but Tom's is uh, a weak ending for him, just to fall off something and then and then regenerate. Yes, it is. Let's come to Logopolis in a minute. Oh, okay. Jump Are we still on planet? Well, I just wanted to say. Well, I just I wanted to get your opinions on Let's and Dicks, right? On the over-explanation, on whether it was a good thing. Because sort of throughout the last couple of years of Letts and Dicks, Mm. and especially in Barry Letts' stories, you see more and more of the Time Lord mythology explained away. Eventually, it would be explained. Uh, After 20 years of Doctor Who or so, Mm, and Star Trek being around, you know, that that explains everything. You'd have got an explanation of something uh, at some time. So better get it in there nice and early in the 70s. I think... think, uh, On the bigger, the bigger picture. On the bigger... Yeah, yeah, why not? Explain it. uh, By the time you get to Spearhead from Space, you've had two regenerations. You've seen the Time Lords a couple of times. But you still don't know re- what regeneration is or anything about the Time Lords. Mm. You don't know anything. By the time you get from Spearhead from Space to Planet of the Spiders, you've met the Time Lords any number of times. You've been to their planet. You've seen how dull they are. 
you know what they are. <laughs> You've had all this cosmic ticket collector's explanation. <laughs> By the time you get to Planet of Spiders, Regeneration, Gallifrey, Time Lords, yeah. they've all been demythologized. It would have happened anyway. Well, would it? Yeah, and why not anyway? We, you know, there's so many stories that we wouldn't have got. We wouldn't have got the Deadly Assassin, would we? If we hadn't have explained it or sent them back yeah, to the... Are you looking three years into the future there? Okay, Three Doctors. That was great, wasn't it? Wasn't that fun? Didn't you like that? Mm. You've, got to expl- you've got to explain his roots eventually. I think people were waiting, I mean, how long? 63 to 70, 10 years for an explanation of this mysterious character. You've got to explain it eventually, somehow, to keep, keep the uh, interest up. Uh, and then explain the regeneration. Why not? It's, yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, you've got to move it forward. You can't just keep going with Doctor Who question mark for fifty years without explaining where he comes from. Well, Couldn't we, you? we are left with the one question, aren't we? Now, everything else has been. Well, what's his name? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly who he is. But uh... now, of course, they have to keep coming up with new questions. Eric, um, Andrew Cartmel and the whole. Is yeah. the Doctor actually God? Mm. And then, yeah, but that's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Once you puncture the myth, mm. and it, Barry Letts and Terence Dix didn't just puncture the myth, but between those two and Robert Holmes, they absolutely flattened it out, took all the mystery out, took all the romance out of it, and just turned it into, well, you know, the scene where John Pertwee lies down and Tom Baker stands up. I know, it's all right, though, because... You were lucky that you had someone like Christopher Hamilton Bidmead, who <laughs> was a romantic writer, and he he kept injecting a bit of spirit into it rather than just making it really deathly dull and all about science. <laughs> You've been sarcastic. Sarcastic. <laughs> yes, I'm being sarcastic. We talked about Christopher Bidmead and his fairy tale castles last week. <laughs> he was quite romantic. Well, if not you... in Doctor Who, he wasn't. Well, there's a planet in which old men talk numbers, and that's what keeps the universe turning. That's quite a romantic notion. It's quite a phantom toll booth. <laughs> yeah, very good it was too. Thank you. Um, Is that becoming the new Adric now? The phantom toll booth. Got to get a mention for that in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you get my point. It's like I do get your point. And it's days. never occurred to me before. Mm. That kind of by the time you get to John Pertwee turning into Tom Baker, all the mysteries. It's like the first Spoilers. two regenerations are a complete and utter mystery. Mm. But by the time you get to Pertwee turning into Baker. Mm. There's no mystery about it whatsoever. It's gone completely point? from one pole to the other. Is there not a point, though, where the viewers start asking questions and say, you know, we want to know more, what's going on? Well, yeah. possibly. It's, but like, it's you... like watching Lost for 10 years. I was years, just going to say that. You know, and not getting any answers. That's probably the most annoying programme ever to have come <laughs> onto TV. Because yeah, it's but... so flipping good uh, in its story writing. Mm. And really, you know, you just want to know answers. And you don't really get that many answers at all, in fact. And you're just left going, but what was I, why did I waste nearly 90 hours of my life watching it's that? It's a completely different thing. Why is it? Because in Lost, the central mystery is... Are you going to tell everybody? <laughs> well, no, because I never watched it. Okay. But in Lost, it's about why are they on the island, right? Doctor Who's not about why is he flying about in time and space. It was. No, it wasn't about that. It was about what he did while he was doing. Yeah, but you always wonder why he was in a uh, a box sure in space. Sure, the Time Lords would have come out of the woodwork, surely, wouldn't they? 
Well, yes, they would. I think uh, the, the the point you're making is it was within that five year period, it was pretty much laid down pretty quickly mm. and explained. And yeah. Maybe that was a bit. Too, maybe they could have worked it out a few more decades. Yeah. Well, they didn't think yeah. about it. This is but just the kind no. of people that Barry Letts and Terence Dicks are, mm. and I think they punctured the myth too quickly, too far. Maybe at that point, it didn't feel like it was too quickly though. So later, they're not afraid to sort of play fast and loose with it. Like in, I know we're going a fair way ahead, but in the Five Doctors. They offer the master a whole new set of regenerations, which mm. is again just totally changing the understanding of the process that, that we it. had before. That well, they really do cheapened that it all for me. the time from yeah. that point forward. Yeah. From the time, well, by 1976, there is nothing new to learn in the Doctor Who universe. I had to do this thing for Starburst magazine for the start of the new series, series seven, and about. Two or three months before Asylum of the Daleks came on, I had to write. Another writer had dropped out, and I suddenly got eighteen pages to write in, you know, three weeks. And one of the things I did was, I did like a beginner's guide to the classic series, but not which were the best stories, but which were the important stories. Mm-hmm. And I got as far as the Deadly Assassin, and I realised that after Deadly Assassin, you don't learn anything new. No. There are no more important stories in that sense. And that's the thing, you know, by the time you've got Pertwee turning into Tom Baker, you've gone from a position whereby in 1969 you didn't know anything. No. So by 1974, there's nothing new to learn. In fact, everything that the you doctor's know. doctor's wife is probably the next <coughs> thing that gives any kind of, I mean, it, it's, it doesn't it's, really. All it does is say out loud things that you already knew. Yeah, but well, was, yeah, it, it was never said. It gives it. you a sentient being inside the TARDIS. It gives you the, the connection between the Doctor and the TARDIS and how important that was. And we've been saying it for donkey's years. We believe that was the case, but it was put <clears> into <throat> fiction. It was put into writing. It was acted. It was on TV, and it was really done well as well. So I think that I, I think you have got a bit of a point there. So that's probably the, the the only other thing left over from the, well, the Doctor maybe. universe that but was we're quite important. About regeneration, right? Yeah. So let's get back on. <laughs> so let's go to. Legopolis. Legopolis, yeah. Watcher. Well, I've got... That's, that story is all about regeneration. The, the entire story is about it. Well, yeah. I'm going to go to emails on account of the fact that most of the people who emailed us seem to have seen Legopolis as their first regeneration story. Mm. Yeah, it would have been mine So as well. let's, yeah, let's yeah. just get a few opinions on Legopolis. Jenny Shirt, the fourth Doctor's regeneration, always stayed with me as it was the very first one I saw. The Watcher scared me a lot. I didn't want Tom Baker to go, because he was a Doctor that I grew up with. When he fell from the radio telescope, it really stayed with me. But, um... Right, here we go. Uh, oh, I'm looking across my piece of paper, and I'm looking for one. Oh, Raph Edwards. For me, as a child, regeneration was an awesome thing. One of my earliest memories was Tom Baker's death and the birth of Peter Davison. Having gone through a variety of series on DVD either side, the regeneration is one of the very few things I actually have any memory of, so it was clearly so exciting it was embedded permanently in my young brain. I can't remember any of the following classic Doctor regenerations, though. But here's where it gets interesting. Raf says, Having rewatched it, I don't really understand how the Watcher could be there, and this is one of the most confusing elements of Doctor Who, why each regeneration is so completely different from all the others. It mainly adds confusion to the mythos and removes any sense of continuity. It's both brilliant and bollocks, isn't it? The Watcher. <laughs> Don't you think? It's a beautiful on, concept. I'm only halfway through the oh, sorry, Raph. Carry on. <clears throat> 
In the new series, this trend has continued, with David Tennant's need for sleep, a cup of tea and a regenerating hand being new elements which worked well, apart from the tea. But his long goodbye in the specials was just ad nauseum and pretty much ruined his death. I couldn't wait for it all to be over. And this is the crux. It's not the death of the Doctor we care about, really. It's finding out who the new Doctor is and what lies ahead. This is confirmed by my Peter Davison memories, where it is the cricket connotations and trappings that stick in my memory more than anything to do with Tom's departure. On a different note... uh, Oh, no. Hang on. He goes off and says something personal to me, though. (laughs) So (laughs) let's go and read it out. (laughs) Let's have a look. But that was Raph Edwards. And, yes, this is kind of the thing now. Planet of the Spiders, you've had a story that's been built around the Doctor's death because... You know, you're watching John Pertwee go through a process whereby his character of the Doctor has done and learned and, you know, involved himself in too much. Mm -hmm. And he's become too much of a character. So he needs to be renewed, Mm -hmm. you know, following Barilette's Buddhist principles. So the story's kind of built around the journey that John Pertwee goes on. Mm -hmm. But also at the same time in there, you've got Campo and Cho Jay. Joe G, right? Campo. Which are? Anyone? Which, uh, what? It's a scruffy one in Last of the Summer Wine. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. What, what, what Who are they here? in the story and what do they represent? The monks. Oh, God. Campo is another Time Lord. He yeah. is the Time Lord who was the Doctor's mentor when On he was a child. Hill, yeah. And Cho Jay is a throw-forward of his next regeneration. Oh, it's the watch. And oh, the before watcher. the yeah. Doctor regenerates yeah. at the end of that story, you also see the process through Campo and Cho Jay, which, for the audience who've not seen Doctor Who for the last five years, is, uh, you know, a little thing for the children to say, here's something that can happen in this programme. And if you're worried about what's about to happen to your lead character, it's going to be okay because you can see it early with these guys. It's going to be okay. And they'll show you get that the it's going to be fine. Yeah, so you get a future projection of the, of the, of the Time Lord before it turns into that. Mm. And then in Logopolis, Christopher H. Bidmead takes the concept and without understanding it, runs with it and gives us a nonsense. It's, it's pretty much a, a, a terrible idea. But it's it's quite beautiful in a weird way as well. I really like the angelic, strange, bizarre watcher. The actual look of it is fantastic. And the actual kind of idea that it's a portent of doom. And that lovely moment where Tom's talking to it and you can't hear what they're talking about up mm. on the bridge. That's That was really weird as a kid. I was thinking, mm. who's, how does he know him? There's uh, some bits about it that are good. I think the, um, the music's quite atmospheric. And you've got the... Um, that's that's the watcher. Going the the watcher's got a little tape it's recorder. A shame play, the play. watcher wasn't kind of more representative of Peter Davison, or mm. Peter Davison didn't play it himself. Like a really that odd, would have been brilliant, vague it? version of himself. Yeah, yeah. And of course the um, the wonderfully terrible line of he was the Doctor all the time. That that <laughs> bit at the end that's just been tacked on. We know, you know, she doesn't need to say it, does she? Does she? Oh. Isn't it Adric that says that? <laughs> when he sounds it's like Nessa. Her. Oh, is it? Oh. The point is, what's the watcher doing there? I don't know. He, Watching. What is he doing? What is he doing there? You tell me. Well, he goes back to Trakan to fetch Nissa before the master blows Trakan up. Makes sense. Yeah. Why? He comes and tells the doctor that something terrible is going to happen, 
but mm. it's not like in Planet of the Spiders where you're building up to the Doctor's regeneration through a natural process of the story. He, there's nothing happens in the first three episodes of Legopolis that suggests for the Doctor that it's going to be the end of his time. It's not something that comes on throughout the story. He falls off a tall building at the end of the story and breaks his body. Yeah, it's not like there was a need for the watcher to be there. No, to no. see him through it. What about what about this? What about the fact that Nissa was left on Charkin, but she's a, a major part of the Doctor's future, and it just so happens that the Doctor, for some reason, didn't hit the right timeline, ended up at Logopolis, and the watcher was so being... desperate to get rid of Adric, he thought, well, I'd get another companion. <laughs> the watcher was quick. a paradox. It's just turned up, and it's kind of like, hang on, no, you need Nissa. You've you've missed this timeline, so it just creates itself, goes and gets Nissa, comes back, and then it's the, the future. Of the doctor it's just this kind of little strange paradox that tom's accidentally made by being strident by taking off from the tardis and leaving this behind and it's a terrible idea do you think isn't it? christopher bidmead was thinking any of that no because no. because i'm a genius and he's not <laughs> <laughs> you're thinking one zero zero one 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 zero zero one one zero <laughs> that's the only thing you've said two. so far simon <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> the only contribution to the show one zero zero one one Oh, I don't know. I mean, what does everybody else think about the Watcher? Good idea or not, really? I like I like the idea, and I found him very. Um, I don't know, what's the word? I can't think of the word. But um, the fact that he was there as a. It's spooky. Yeah, yeah. It would yeah. have worked if it had been a better story. If there had been place for him in the story. Mm. If the Watcher had been a natural part of the process of regeneration, in the same way as Cho J was for Can Po. Mm. Then it would have worked if there'd been something in that story that suggested that the Watcher arrived just before the Doctor regenerated to see him through as the regeneration was starting to come on. For instance, in the Caves of Androzani, the next story, the Doctor gets poisoned in episode one and throughout the four episodes, the Doctor's body is succumbing to the poison. So throughout all the 90 minutes after he becomes poisoned at the start of Caves of Androzani, the Doctor is becoming progressively and more and more close to death. Mm. So if you'd have had the Watcher there, the Watcher arrives as he sees death coming on and sees the Doctor through his death, that would have made sense. Mm. In Legopolis, yeah. the Doctor falls out of a tall building five minutes from the end of the episode. The, stupid thing the is Watcher's that... been there for the last three weeks doing what? Is, is there some kind of spectre? And there he is... Take it, bring in Nissa over from Trakan. You think, well, how does he do that if he's just a. To well, be honest, you've got this, you've got this, a, eni- this was a hugely, fix. hugely enigmatic yeah, character that just basically goes and grabs Nissa and goes, and there he is on Earth. It's a bit <laughs> I think as a kid, it was quite spooky, but yeah, looking back at it now, it's just a bit pants. The Nissa thing's a production fix. Nissa was a one character, a one story character. She wasn't supposed to be in it anymore. But after that story was finished and had been filmed and was in the can and she didn't leave in the TARDIS at the end of it, they decided to keep the actress on. They needed some way to get yeah, her into Legopolis. Yeah. So, the only way they could do it was send the Watcher to fetch her. So that's a nonsense. The, so what came, first? what came first, the Watcher or the idea that Nyssa was coming into the show? Which one was first? The Watcher. The Watcher was first before the idea of Nyssa being in the show. Yeah. Right. They decided that Nyssa was going to become a regular character while Legopolis was filming okay. after the Keeper of Dragon was already in the can. 
Do we know why the Watcher was there in the first place? Does anybody actually know why? Did Have you been listening Mead... to me for the last five no, minutes? No, no, why? Why was it written? <laughs> what was the catalyst for this? I know it's the Choji thing and he kind of probably got it wrong. Do you think that's all it was? Well, so he looked even... at that past episode and thought, I don't think, thought, that. You know what? I I think, think... it's maybe even just a coincidence. Maybe yeah, he saw that, thinking, but I don't see. think it's close enough to that to even have been influenced by that. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I think Christopher Bidney just thought, oh, wouldn't that be a great idea? But the thing about great ideas is you have to integrate them into your story and it just doesn't, does it? No, it doesn't work. So Still quite fun as a kid watching it, though. Yeah, I was too old. I think if I'd have been seven when Logopolis was on, I would have thought that was the spookiest thing ever. Mm. But being, I don't know, 11 when Logopolis was on, I just looked at the watcher and the doctor talking to him on the bridge and just thought that, you know, the program had lost its magic. Because... Seeing the doctor talking to a guy in a funny white fuzzy felt mask on a bridge <laughs> was the opposite of magic. You're going to go into your song. What's my song? What the world needs now. What the world needs now is fuzzy felt. <laughs> Only on a bridge can you talk to the watcher. That's the sound of a hundred people pressing stop on their iPod. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I did well. Yeah, it was very I've good. Just, I've it just got the good, image yeah, of the watcher yeah. now standing there with a tiny little horse <laughs> on his face. Fuzzy felt horse. Brilliant. I know you said you didn't want us to talk about favourite stories, but I think um, Caves as a story is the best regeneration story, in my opinion. Well, hang on. Before we get to Caves, are we going to do Castrovalva? Yes, well, another disorientation. Because, yeah. That's one of had... these favourites, wasn't it? <clears throat> it's got elements I like. It's just the master's yeah, over the here. topness, that's mm. all. But we're talking about the process of regeneration are, of the story course, rather yeah. than the story itself. <laughs> now, well, we we went back nice to set. Power of the Daleks. There was no regeneration trauma to speak of. Spearhead from space. He spends an episode in a bed, but he's pretty much aware of what's going on while he's there. And as soon as he steps out of the bed, he's wide awake and on the case. And in Robot... It's five Terrence minutes Dicks, of nuttiness. <clears throat> yeah, in Robot, Terrence Dix has a little bit of fun with it. Kind of in between the two previous ones, Terrence Sticks knows the score. He knows what's supposed to happen, but he also knows that you've got to get on and tell a story. So he has five minutes seen between Tom Baker and uh, Ian Martyr, Harry Sullivan, at the start, where you can show how mad the Doctor is because he's just regenerated and he's not found his personality yet. He's still pretty mad for the rest of his... Uh... <laughs> well, exactly. I was going to say that. <laughs> But then he gets on with it and tells the story. And then Christopher Bidmead, the guy who writes the regeneration with the Watcher in it, writes Castrovalva. And what does he do? He writes an entire four-episode story in which the Doctor has no idea who he is. What's mm. going on? I like I've... it. Well, I like the idea. I'm not <laughs> sure the execution was particularly I like, good. I like the Zero Room. That lasted long, didn't it? It did last <laughs> all about three minutes. I always remember my sister watching it with me, and she said, "Well, that wasn't very good because he spent most of it lying on his back." Well, there you are. Then that—that's and that was shouts it out to the from the top of the cliff, doesn't it? It was, a, it was too long. Well, he in Spearhead from Space, he spends the first episode in bed. Then he wakes up and he gets on with things. In Castrovalva, he spends the first episode in bed. And then he spends the second episode on a stretcher. And then he spends the third episode in bed. And then he wakes up and gets on with it. It just stretches it way too far. Mm. And Christopher Bidmead, he's got this 
thing about the zero room and having to have an atmosphere in which the Doctor can heal. But we've not seen that with any of his previous regenerations. And then Christopher Bidmead is telling us that this regeneration needs the extra help because it was so much worse of a death than the previous ones. Which I disagree with. a story with. in which mm. the Doctor falls off a ladder. I disagree with, yeah, Absolutely. Totally. The, the only opposite thing that was, is the truth. The only thing that was standing up in that story was in Adric's pants. That don't don't give me that image yeah, again. No. Seriously, that's just him in that big spider's web. That you know, wow. Don't get it in three D. Whatever you do, it's horrible. Thanks, Mark. Don't get it in HD. That would be hard. <laughs> oh no 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 no. Oh, no. Terence. <laughs> that's HT. Right. Well, <laughs> where were we? Uh, Castrovalva thoughts. Too much? Too much. Way, way, way too much. I think one episode would Make have been any okay. Sense? Make any sense? Oh, well, that he has to be uh, that out for that long? Yeah. No, not really. No. Definitely not. And things like, you know, you said you liked the Zero Room. Mm. Perhaps also because of your age. But, you know, the Zero Room is a concept. If the regeneration is something that needs help, like in the first instance we saw it, that William Hartnell had to go mm. into the TARDIS to do it. Mm. Yeah. That makes a certain kind of a sense, but not the way they stretched it out. I think you'd have been better off, I mean, with William Hartnell's change. He was in the main console room, wasn't he? And the TARDIS ha- helped him, but he's in black and white, so he can't see what colour the room is. Maybe all he needed to do was just hit a switch as he fell to the floor, and the room goes pink. And the console room is the z- is infused exactly. with zero energy. Exactly. <clears throat> in fact, uh, here's a question. When is the first time the... Uh, what's the place they go to in the Five Doctors that they're always talking about going to? The, the Eye of Orion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When's the first time that's mentioned? Because that's basically the same idea as the Zero Room, isn't it? The was Zero it meant, Cabinet it... fails, so they go to Castrovalva because it has the same properties as the Zero Cabinet, right? Uh-huh. Mm. Why don't they just go to the Eye of Orion? Good point. Because that's what the Eye of Orion... How long were they talking about the Eye of Orion? Because that's one of those things. When was it's the, first... the Eye of Orion. It's the... Sorry. God. <laughs> this is the musical. What's lesson. the first story in which the word regeneration is used? I think Ooh. it's spiders, isn't it? Planet of spiders. I'm wondering if it is. I couldn't. I Doesn't went. Cho Chi say something about um, his body has the ability to regenerate? I'm just going to give it a push. Yeah, I'm just wondering if the word's ever been used before that. I googled it earlier tonight, and I couldn't find an example of it in the series mm-hmm. any earlier than Planet of the Spiders. But I'm fairly convinced that over the years building up to Planet of the Spiders, it became something that had been talked about that we had been programmed to accept was going to happen. Mm. Perhaps. I could be wrong. don't know. I have a rhyme. Did three Doctors. Up? Any mention of regeneration in the Three Doctors? So, no. Because no. you get all incarnations. three incarnations. incarnations. Do they talk? But does the process by which one incarnation became another well, they ever just do get that mentioned? whole thing from no. um, I Am the Walrus, don't they? They're all eggmen? Yeah, there's almost an impression, <laughs> if anyone who didn't know the history of the series, there's almost an impression that they are literally all three versions of the same... Obviously the same person, but not necessarily in chronological order, that they're all the same person at the same time. I don't think there's a lot given away as to who came first or anything like that. Oh, they say he's Does the... He... When they come to the William Hartnell oh, one, they, the, they he... say he's the oldest one, the first one. He's the original. <coughs> yeah. Yeah. I think he makes it. 
I think it's quite clear. Actually, yeah. So then, okay, we get to caves. Love the story. Awesome. <laughs> I only just noticed this recently. I think it was in one of the DVD extras. When we, we did an episode a while ago on cliffhangers, and there was a couple of cliffhangers in that story, and the one where he's in the spaceship that's about to crash. Yeah. In the final episode, when he regenerates, you get this weird kind of visual effect on the screen. And it gets explained in the extras on one of the discs that in that cliffhanger where the ship is about to crash, you start to see that effect. And then the doctor's like sort of wincing and he's actually fighting the regeneration. Huh? I never oh. twigged that when I watched it the first time. If you watch it again... Yeah, I'll have to watch it again. So, I mean, the whole thing before. is him just fighting against the regeneration he's to save his companion. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, pre-tenant. Mm. Well, when we get to the tenant, I think that regeneration makes a lot of sense. The way he holds it off in order to... And I think there's a reason why, but we'll get there when we get there. Caves of Androzani, then, in terms of the regeneration, I think I already said my piece. He's poisoned right at the start yeah, of the mm, story. Mm. And throughout the whole story, to go along with what Mark just said, he's holding off the regeneration mm. until such time as he has saved Perry. And mm. it makes the whole thing so much more tense as well. Yeah, But that's basically all there is to it, isn't it? All there is to the story or to the regeneration? All there is to the regeneration part of the story. Mm. That's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. <clears throat> but there is this kind of this feeling, an ending coming soon. And it's quite kind of tense, I think. I don't, I don't know. I think the way it's directed is a bit more... Um, we're talking about how Pertwee to Baker was a bit dull. I thought the... You the way- were... <laughs> I wasn't. No, well, whatever floats your boat. But I think <laughs> I think Davidson to Baker. The book was great. Yeah, well, to make it to screen, did it? Um, the, <laughs> the whole thing. I think Graham Harbour describes it as being like um, the end of Day in the Life by the Beatles. Where yeah, that's right. Real mm-hmm. kind of psychedelic thing going on with all the previous companions floating around and. Yeah, I mean, even the music is, is is like day in a life, mm. and it, you know the big explosion, and yeah. you get Colin Baker gets some more airtime. Yeah, the thing about it is, in terms of what you get on screen in the regeneration, is entirely to do with what effects they had available to them at the time. Mm-hmm. In the first story, it's literally just a crossfade between the two faces, and in uh, Planet of the Spiders. Really good. In Tenth Planet, yeah, we've well, got the sort of doctor. He's sort of stumbling around, yeah, staring into straight into the camera. The, that line where he says, "Oh, it's far from being all over." It's really atmospheric. The lighting's really good as well. It's very dark and because he's stumbling around it's and quite dying. disturbing, actually. Yeah, yeah, his voice is quite disturbing. Yeah, I think. But then in Planet of the Spiders, you don't get any of that because Letts and Dix have already put it down on one side as just part of the natural process that the doctor goes through. So you don't need to see him dying. I mean, you see throughout the whole story the point where he gets to the part where he dies, mm. but then he just stumbles out of the TARDIS and it happens. There's nothing really more to it than that. But in terms of the production, again, it's pretty much just a crossfade because they didn't really have many weapons at their disposal when it came to filming stuff. By the time you get to Caves of Androzani, yeah. or Legopolis first, by the time you get to Legopolis, your little box of tricks... You've got Quantel you've got, and things like that. Yeah, out. which didn't have when Pertwee turned into Tom Baker. Mm. So you can do all these things. <clears throat> I don't think they really work 
in Logopolis and the Caves of Androzani. You talk about the little heads going around and people talking. Yeah, yeah, no, it's... I know. I think it looks silly. Uh, it's when like I was a kid, when I was a kid watching Logopolis, that was my first generation, and you know you saw all the people going round and die, Doctor, die, blah, blah. and then the oh, that's probably Caves of Androzani. Yeah. But the next one comes along well, as well. Pretty much the same. By the, really, by the second they? one, I was just assuming that they're all like that. You know, it was interesting. There were two very similar styles. All the rest have been completely different. But they're quite close in terms of production. I think yeah. that's probably the thing. very different. It is indeed. But we've, uh, <laughs> to the get to the lot. next one, we've got, well, uh, here you go. Mr. Peter on Gallifrey Base uh, emailed me. He said, easily the best new Doctor post-regeneration stories are those that get on with the story rather than have the Doctor knocked out, disorientated or recovering a la Castrovalva or the Twin Dilemma. The Christmas Invasion gets away with it because it was an hour of self-contained story and we were already invested in Rose and the Tyler family. Mm. And when the Doctor does show up, he's great. And actually, we did we talked about that yeah. in some depth a little while ago. Ironically, he says, Power of the Daleks quickly gets over having a new Doctor, perhaps sooner than any other post-regeneration mm. story. Yeah. Um, but his point is, should you dwell on the regeneration or should you get past it and now we've arrived at the twin dilemma. Now, the Doctor's regeneration lasts not just for a story, it lasts for a whole season, doesn't it? Mm. It's, um, now I, I personally think that you you can have five minutes of fun, nuttiness, craziness. Because Strangling your companion, <clears throat> yeah, that's fine. Right, and then, and then it moves on, right? But if you imagine your body, you have to believe mark that your body your entire body is being rewritten and changed like the chameleon arch yeah? i think the problem is colin thought he was going to get a fair shake of the stick and i think he had a, a grand plan of how his doctor was going to develop and it oh yeah he did shaped. but nobody else no. went along with it did they mm. well, so the trouble uh, was eric could... was a script editor and he didn't like colin baker or his doctor so he wasn't prepared to write that but I, I think it works i think it works that you have nuttiness for a few minutes then you get on with it the thing with colin baker ooh. Well, in one sense, if in the Caves of Androzani, Peter Davison has been holding off his regeneration in order to get something done, whereas in Planet of the Spiders, he stumbles out of the TARDIS and it happens straight away. In Logopolis, he falls off the building and it happens straight away. Mm. In in, uh, Caves of Androzani, if Peter Davison's been holding it off, then once it gets triggered, it becomes a more difficult process because of the fact that he's been holding it back. It's like if you hold on to a pee for an hour and a half, you know, by the time you pee, it's going to be painful. That's what's happening. (laughs) He says it feels different this time, doesn't he? Yeah, and maybe, I don't know. That's what I I say every time I go to the toilet (laughs) after this podcast. I don't know if it's that well written that that is the reason, but you can take that sense from it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, if you take that sense from it, then the twin dilemma, you should see a doctor who's damaged at the start of his new re- regeneration, mm. his new incarnation, and should be taking some time, and it should be different. And the fun element, maybe, should be turned on its head so it's dangerous. But again, did it go on too far? Well, I think it just took, took it too far. I remember watching at the time, and I was already grieving for losing Peter Davison. And then this guy comes in and starts strangling the companion, and I just thought, well, are we supposed to like this guy? You know, and it was plus the fact it was tagged right at the end of the series. Yeah. So that was the dangerous thing, isn't it? It was a dangerous quotient of trying something like that and then leaving you, yeah, having that as your last memory of Absolutely, a whole year's yeah. worth of Doctor Who. Uh, the other yeah. interesting thing is that we did 
did we get with Peter Davison him going round talking to going on talk shows and things before he was the doctor? I'm not sure. Because Colin Baker did that. He did it on Swap Shop and all that, or Saturday Superstore. And there were moments where Russell he Harty. where he says, um, you know, uh, some kid phones in and says, are you going to be a grumpy doctor? And obviously, it's all filmed by then. And I think he I says do something, seem to remember Peter. Yeah, he says something like, no, now, not, I, I might be a little bit grumpy, but never with you, Jonathan, or whatever the kid's name is. And of course, within the first five minutes, he's strangling his companion. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, didn't, you know, that's the age range you were looking at there, six to eight to nine-year-olds. Really bad move. I don't think his regeneration would have gone that badly wrong. No. In real life. (laughs) I can understand to a certain degree why they might have thought it was something that was worth trying because the Doctor's regenerations before then, well, not the Peter Davison one, but the the previous ones before that, the one in Power of the Daleks, is a mystery. Ben Mm. and Polly have seen him change, but they can't believe it can possibly be the same man. So there's kind of a mystery that goes on. Is it really the same man? And then when John Pertwee turns up in Spearhead from Space, he tells the Brigadier, I am the same man. And the Brigadier says, you're not, patently. So again, there's kind of a bit of a mystery. And for the first time, there's been a break in transmission. So a new audience also has to get used to John Pertwee. Tom Baker turns up. John Pertwee's been popular. People have stuck with the programme. And so they know. So they have a bit of fun with it because they don't need to do the mystery when Tom Baker turns up. But it's a very 80s thing to do the angsty regeneration, isn't it? There's a lot of angst with the Peter Davison one. And Mm. they kind of take that and stick it, you know, to the power of three when, or to the power of six maybe, when (laughs) Colin Baker turns up. It's just angst, isn't it? Mm. It's painful. Painful to watch. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, it's a real disservice to Colin Baker as an actor as well. Yeah, you think about the opportunities David Tennant and uh, Matt Smith had when they had they got regenerated. You know, when they first appeared, this this opportunity to absolutely shine for the audience and sell them, sell themselves to the audience, and he I didn't get that opportunity. Uh, we, at we all. forget how funny Colin can be actually, absolutely, because his yeah. comedic side is amazingly funny, yeah. and his comic timing is great. I mean, the first thing he should have done was stand up and go, right, let's go, and go walk straight into the wall and knock himself out again. That would have been quite funny. Um, <laughs> you know, I'd have preferred that kind of <laughs> slapstick than him turning around and going, you don't even know what the period is, do you? Me, 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 me. Talking of slapstick. Yes, that's yeah, so that's, he must have been really chuffed that, with Time and the Rani. That leads us nicely into Time and the Rani. Well, I'm going to have a wee. <laughs> <laughs> he really has. He's left the room. <laughs> He's off. He's off. Time and the Rani then, though, you know, they did. They went completely the opposite way with Time and the Rani. Instead of going into the angst, they went somewhere else with it entirely. Was well, they that... went with Sylvester McCoy and a ginger wig. Start. No, let's forget the regeneration. Mm. Hey. There's, there's nothing to talk about. <laughs> well, there's no, nothing to talk about. There isn't. It just mm. they had to do it. They did it. They got it out and of the way. They should have as had possible. it off screen. They shouldn't have even. Yeah. yeah, they shouldn't. They they could have referenced. Oh, they should it have just materialised. He steps out. Yeah. Well, it was in the. You know, that wasn't the done thing. No. no. So you know, let's forget bitching about something that was, you know. Not it wasn't a consideration not to show the regeneration. You showed the regeneration so much so that when they made the TV movie on a different continent half a decade later, they still showed the regeneration. Mm. So and that really didn't do it any favors. No, it didn't. But time in the Rani, I enjoyed it. <laughs> what the TV movie? Well, no, the, I enjoyed the regeneration, how they dealt with it. I think it was a bad move 
for the start of the series. I know I'm jumping ahead here, but for the start of the series, it, it was or potential series. It was very bad. It was a disastrous move. Yes. Uh, you know, Lee's returning from the toilet. Time in Irani. It felt different that time. <laughs> yeah, problem is with that is um, obviously regeneration have been entrenched in the public mind for a very long time. You've been thinking while you've been urinating, haven't you? That's the, my best thinking space, yeah. time. And, uh, you know, and also it's it was in the fandom's mind that it, there had to be a reg- regeneration no matter what. You know, Colin was treated so badly, and I'm sure we all know this, but they could have done something different. A bit harsh on Sylvester as well, in a way. We should have not done one. We've dealt with this. Yeah. We're talking about... I couldn't hear you from upstairs. <clears throat> We're talking about uh, whether... Uh, no, let's pull it back. You've had, in the 1980s, you've had two... <laughs> he just does. <laughs> <laughs> you've had two extremely angsty regenerations and then you get one that's not angsty mm. there's mm. a little bit of light comedy and there's also the amnesia thing where he doesn't recognize that yeah you've got that, mail but it's i don't mind that well, it works in reverse with time lords obviously you know he falls off a blinking gantry <laughs> and has a really complicated regeneration with the watcher and what have you, and then pulls off an exercise bike, and then <laughs> bangs his head on the console, and can't remember a thing. But anyway, yeah, but does he though? Wasn't that wasn't the idea the that he was shot out the it. sky by the Rani or something? Uh, what, is yeah. it or not? What's the story behind the TARDIS crashing? Or was it just crashing? No, he gets shot. He gets shot. Yeah. All right. So he might have not just fallen off the bike. He, was, you know, maybe the. Shields were down on the TARDIS and it penetrated the TARDIS and missed Mel completely and took him out. What's described as strenuous buffeting <laughs> in the book. Yes, it is. I remember that line. And doesn't his head go inside the console and that's why he regenerates? His head goes in the console. I don't remember that bit. When he falls, his head goes into the console. <laughs> Not physically into it. Have you been drinking, Lord? <laughs> what? It's funny, isn't it? The idea of his head falling into the console to force him to regenerate. What you've just said is hilarious. Am I the only one that finds that funny? No. Okay, let's go to the TV movie then, Simon. (laughs) Yes. Did say that, didn't he? Yeah. His head fell inside the console. I thought so, yeah. Fell into the console. Oh, oh, okay. I thought you meant inside it. Yeah, sorry. Bumped into the console. Into it. And part of his head goes into the area inside the console where the TARDIS is power. Yeah, if yeah. You... yeah, yes, I know. It's a funny idea. It's a stupid idea. It made me laugh. Okay. Sorry, I won't laugh anymore. You continue. <laughs> <laughs> Is that, I, just, I just imagine a doctor-shaped or, you know, a kind of like a Colin Baker-shaped hole for uh, his head to fall into. That's all. It was just a funny image that popped into my head. Okay. Was it a hole in the console or what? Oh, my God. If you fall down by the side of a car and your head, you know, as you fall, your head might go in between the wheels underneath the Just ask the Brian car. Harvey. You'd be under the car. Part of your head would be under the car. Oh, I see what you mean. So he falls down by the side of the console and, you know, the corner of his head is where the power that, you know, makes the TARDIS function. Right. And so he gets a zap of TARDIS power. Got it. So, but you didn't explain that bit, sorry. Well, I... Well, was that in the book, was it? 
I can't remember where that was. The book, fan mythology, who oh, knows okay. what. That's just another, you know, because for years fans have been trying to explain why falling off an exercise bike <laughs> is going to make you regenerate. Right. And that's just Bit another. Shot by Newsy is a fairly final way of going, isn't it? It's limitless. TV movie. Yes. What are you looking at me? Well, <laughs> we were saying we were saying that terrible decision to have the regeneration actually in it as a first episode to a brand new audience over the other side of over the other side of the world. Um, I like the way they dealt with it, though. I like the way they actually did the regeneration. I like the effects, and I liked a lot of the acting involved. Sylvester McCoy performs extremely well. Even when he's gurning on the bed. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like that. I really liked it. I've I'm always, afraid. I've always wondered, I'll be at the point where we can probably say this now, um, what the conversations would be between the two actors, if at all. So, you know, when Pat came in, was William still there? And they had a little chat and... Was there some advice given over, or maybe Tom and John? I don't think they were probably. Hartnell was quoted as saying the only person who could take on the role if he ever left was Patrick Troughton. Right, so I just want to be a fly on the wall whilst the scene is being filmed, in between the scenes while they're just chatting, talking. I know they didn't have a lot of time, did they, for Colin Baker and Peter Davison because they were running out of time and the lights get turned off on BBC. Well. So it's pretty quick. But uh, did any of the doctors chat to each other, pass on advice? Um, Peter Davison well, tells a story of how he met Tom Baker in the, the bar at the BBC and Tom's giving him this really sage advice and it's so loud that he can't hear what Tom's saying. So he just nods and agrees. <laughs> and all these years later, he still has no idea what he told him. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And, of course, Sylvester McCoy and Paul McGann were friends. And, yes, they were. You know, spent a lot of time oh. together on the set. I think they flew out together, in fact. Yeah, I think so, yeah. But it must be a very odd thing that if you are Doctor Who, and no matter what people say, you will have some kind of an ego built into this here. You know, you, you are the kid's hero, and you've been doing it for a while, and then you your contract's up, or you're made to leave, or whatever, and you have to do your regeneration sequence and hand it over. It must be a very odd feeling. I'm sure I felt it with David Tennant, actually, handing it over to Matt Smith. You could, you could almost feel like it's... He didn't really want to give it up. In fact, he says the lines as the act, as the fictional character, I don't want to leave. And I think that's, you know, comes from his own mind. But anyway, back to Paul McGann. Well, Russell T. Davis wrote that before he'd even cast David Tennant. What, that last line? Yeah, pretty much. Really? really? Yeah, Russell T. Davis said, you know, he knew as soon as the Doctor changed in parting of the ways what mm. the 10th doctor's last line was going to be yeah. and he had those five words or whatever it is i don't want to go yeah five words I don't want to go, yeah. he said he had those five words throughout the entire 10th doctor's era wow. waiting to use them in that last story well he said them with feeling well yeah well that david tennant was a big fan wasn't he um paul mcgann mm. tv movie mm. comes in as a new doctor mm. gets a bit of angst and a bit of fun the shoes fit. I like yeah. that. And the yeah. bendy windows and whatnot. Yeah. But essentially, five minutes, gets down and gets on with it. He, gets he doesn't have one... a choice, does he? Because it's about halfway through when he regenerates, so he's only Absolutely. got about 20 minutes to actually make an impact. Well, it's <clears> not <throat> that far into it, is it? It's about 25 minutes into an hour and 25. Mm. He's got about 60 minutes of screen mm. time. But the point's good, though. You know, if you're going to get Paul McGann down to being the doctor you need to see him being the doctor you know for a good 
last third of that episode, otherwise it makes no sense, especially seeing as you're showing a brand new audience who's no idea what Doctor Who is, let alone what regeneration is, mm. and you've decided to show the regeneration, which, which is a ridiculous decision. Do you think there was the, again, I use these words, a conscious effort, um, uh, intention rather, to show um, kind of like the Jesus Christ imagery going through that, that oh, first part of it? So. Yeah, so banging out the tomb, long hair, and he's got the, the robe on type of thing, and then he flings his arms out wide like he's being crucified and looks to God and shouts, mm. who am I? I don't I mean, think all it was, that's a, sounds like Christopher Lloyd when he says that. Oh! <gasps> Oh, <laughs> actually looked like him then when he did that. That's disturbing. <laughs> I think the director made a deliberate choice. Marty, get in the back of the car. Great Scott. <laughs> okay, carry on, Joe. We've had our fun. I said it. <laughs> <laughs> I like the gurning. It's I've got Jeffrey to say. Sachs, okay, yeah. the mm. director, and Jeffrey Sachs. If you've ever seen any of his other material, he's a great director. He finds stuff that's not necessarily in the script. He also rewrites mm. the scripts in the editing room to make a more f- dynamic production mm. presentation. And there's no question in my mind that Jeffrey Sachs took what was probably on paper pretty standard regeneration and made something special of it. Mm. Mm. They were quite fortunate that he wanted to put in bits from the old 1930s Frankenstein and yeah, they just, just happened thinking. to hold the rights to that movie so they could intercut it, which is quite a nice touch. And that's the director. Yeah, and it worked as well. Yeah. I like that. I thought it was really good. Strong part of the film. I thought it was a nice touch as well that he actually died prior to the regeneration. You see what I mean? That was an interesting thing, actually. The trigger of the regeneration was very much different again because his companion forces his death mm. by accident. Of course. You mean the Chinese boy? No, Grace. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Which was a nice twist, the fact that she does it to him. I guess so, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I'd like to see that again. The companion accidentally knocking off the doctor. <laughs> well, I guess you could say that happened in the end of time. Yeah, that's yeah. true. This is true. Because it actually gets, oh, fr- he yeah, gets frustrated yeah, with the p- wolf, didn't he? Yeah. Had to be you. Yeah. It had to be you. <laughs> oh, God, here we go. <laughs> Donald Cribbins is here I was digging this hole. <laughs> Anyway. We'd better uh, move, move on. on. Eccleston does it standing up. Yeah, yeah. They, we're there's a gonna... template now, isn't there? There's an absolute template now for the style of regeneration. That yeah, something that they... Well, they almost had in between... Well, in the 1980s, there was a certain continuity between the three regenerations as all well then. You had that sort of Quantel effect on the Tom Baker one. And then you had that again with bells and whistles on when Peter Davison went. And then even when Sylvester McCoy in this wig turned into Sylvester McCoy, you still had that effect around yeah. the outside of him. So there was a little bit of continuity there. But yeah, now they have come up with a concept for what regeneration looks like that they are sticking with. Mm. It's I just want to get it out now. I love it. I love it. I love the new regeneration. I think it's absolutely but fantastic. What I want to know is if the Doctor gets knocked out, or he's unconscious and he's lying on the floor and then regenerates while lying on the floor, wouldn't he just kind of fire off across the room? <laughs> well, like a rocket. <laughs> yeah. Like a little, yeah, firework type thing. And just smack into the wall at the yeah. other end of the That's like putting a Mento and a Coke bottle on the floor and watching a... I think it's quite apt, though, for Eccleston 
because of what he's been through. I'm I'm assuming that it's the Eccleston Doctor that fights the Time War, uh, for him to go out not sort of laying down, but to go out standing on his feet. I think it's a really cool ending for him. It is, mm. but then you get everybody else standing up after that, so it kind of knocks that idea on the head, really. Sorry. And the only regeneration <laughs> we see outside of the TARDIS is uh, Melody Pond. The Master. And, and then the Master's, and the master's inside. inside the TARDIS the as well, TARDIS, isn't he? In the Doctor's TARDIS. I'm not saying I'm not saying it's an important detail. I'm just yeah, saying that every time we've seen a regeneration apart from yeah. the Chan little girl, toe. they've all been I was inside just thinking the TARDIS. It was just hang on a minute, Simon. There's a little chat over there. Else, no, no, he locked himself in, doesn't he? Yes, of course. You done? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, after regeneration, mm. Christmas invasion. We did talk about this. We at did. Length, we did at length a little while ago. Yeah, but I think. You know, Rusty Davis puts his doctor in a bed and keeps him there for half an hour. But he does that because he knows two things. One, when the doctor wakes up, we're going to see a good, you know, a good-sized chunk of the new doctor Mm -hmm. and what he'll be like. Mm -hmm. And two, this is all taking place during the course of one episode. So it's a bit like the TV movie. It's a while before you get to Paul McGann in there. And then, but when you do... You get Paul McGann by the end of the episode. Mm. Same thing in the Christmas Invasion. You get a David Tennant. You get a good idea of what mm. David Tennant's Doctor will be by the end of that episode. So he gets away with it. So he can have half the episode with uh, the Doctor being mm. stuck in bed. And rather than it being <clears throat> like it was in Spearhead from Space or Castrovalva or The Twin Dilemma, something that is about the production, about the writer's intentions for the character. Instead, it's more to do with the writer's intentions for the audience. He's playing a game with the audience. Now, um, Christopher Bidbead wasn't doing that in Castrovalva, and nor was Anthony Stephen and Eric Sayward in The Twin Dilemma. Not to that extent. Rusty Davis is very deliberately put David Tennant in bed for half an hour, so he can have that Christmas Day audience on the edge of their seat mm. saying, when are we going to see the Doctor? And Bibmead and the others, well, they, he didn't have Jackie, did he? To fill in the holes. Or, uh, mm. or Mickey or Rose. Mm. So there we go. Tour. But also, he brought, don't forget, RTD completely changed the the myth a bit of, of regeneration by giving him all this lovely magic uh, glitter, which he can play with and, and you know make his hand better and, and cough a bit up for the little pilot fish to follow. And, you know, as soon as that started happening, I thought, hello, there's some magic stuff going on here. There's a bit of Polar Express coming into this. Too much. Yeah, well, that's one of the things that people have talked about in these emails, yes, isn't exactly. it? Whether, yeah. you know, and Steve said that we, the email right at the start, have they started demythologizing the regeneration by overdoing it? But there's two ways of looking at that. Mm. I mean, I go back to what I said about Pertwee and Let's demythologizing Doctor Who back during the John Pertwee era where everything was over-explained so that, you know, by the time the Pertwee regeneration came along, an audience that hadn't seen it for five years and had never, never fully understood it were all of a sudden so completely au fait with it they could just put it on the screen and, you know, show it in five seconds flat and everybody knows it's what it is and it's okay. Mm. So now you've got, on the other hand, with all these 
sort of you know the wispy orange smoke you get and the mm. regenerating hand and other characters that regenerate but the other side of that coin is this is a tool that's been in the program's armory for 45 years and that nobody has so far seen fit to bother exploring with. it yeah so it's it's also not just a case of exploring it uh, at the same time, a case of playing with it. If you've got a tool in your storytelling armory that's unique to your program, okay with it. Have fun with it. Mm. It was interesting in The Impossible Astronaut where um, he gets shot before he gets a chance to regenerate, doesn't he? And you start seeing the orange glow. And take it for granted the audience knows what that means. Yeah. Because it's become yeah. a template. <clears throat> Well, you've seen it enough times now. In between um, Christopher Eccleston and the end of David Tennant's first episode, we've now seen it something like four or five times, haven't we? The orange glow and stuff. Yeah. yeah. You know, with the wispy regenerating. Yeah, and the kissing of So by the time you get to... And Christmas Invasion was quite a well-watched episode. Mm. So if you got to the end of David Tennant, especially with the false regeneration at the end of... Um, the one that goes with Journey's End, the Stolen Earth. Mm. So by the time Tenant comes to regenerate, you're completely au fait with what regeneration is. Yeah. So when Stephen Moffat brings Matt Smith's Doctor in, you look like you need to pee as well now. Desperately, <laughs> says Mark. <laughs> so by the time, do you want to... Do you remember Kinder? <laughs> yeah, the Wii and the not Wii. I'm definitely the Wii. <laughs> <laughs> By the time you get to Matt Smith's Doctor, I think Stephen Moffat's just thinking... Stephen Moffat is a showrunner, a writer who likes to push the envelope. Mm. He likes to take the bits of the series that other people wouldn't play with and play with them. Having the Doctor snogging a human being in uh, The Girl in the Fireplace, which he'd only ever done in Ross T. Davis stories with a science fiction excuse. Stephen Moffat's the guy who just writes him snogging somebody. Mm. So, of course, one of the things Stephen Moffat's going to do is take the concept of regeneration and have fun with it. That's Stephen Moffat's modus operandi. You know, that's what mm. he does. Mm. Mm. So, um, we must forget the master, obviously. No. Do you uh, want to dash past? <laughs> yeah. Oh, second time in this episode. <laughs> the, ma- the master, obviously, regenerates. For the first time, we get to see the master regenerate. We've heard about it. We've heard about it. We never see it, do we? We've seen him obviously take uh, Tremus's body over. That's not really regeneration, I suppose. But we don't actually see him regenerate. And that was that was a, a major moment. And I absolutely adored that moment with Derek Jacobi turning into Mister mm. Mister Sin. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, the the moment that the, the interesting thing is that the moment afterwards, uh, the new master is absolutely utterly on the ball. There's no disorientation. He's bang, straight in. Okay, he's got a bit of energy, but he knows exactly what he's about to do. And here's the thing. The Master, we know, has used up his 13 regeneration cycle. Because mm. this is one of the big arguments. Well, didn't he get a whole load in the time wall? Wasn't, wasn't that the point, the idea that is he... Is that what they said? Well, one of the ideas is he was resurrected from the middle of the TARDIS, from the Vortex, from the McGann film, and he was given a Fam- whole bunch of new regenerations like you would have been in the five doctors you're not and then off he goes to fight the time war and then he chickened out oh did they say that i don't know that's what i thought i'd read that i thought it was an rtd are you idea. not just getting confused between the five doctors and utopia no, no. i just i'm sure what do you mean, i read that. why he used the comedian arch on himself 
Oh yeah, to run away from away. He was in the time where he chickened right. out, he ran away, put the chameleon arch on, forgot who he was. But that was like a, a first regeneration moment or a new regeneration given to him. Or cycle of regenerations, I presume. Well, by I, the Time Lords uh, to fight the Time War. No, as far as I was concerned. Maybe that's just, just fanfic, is it? They didn't, yeah, they didn't give him a cycle of anything. Resurrected from In the, the same way as the... Badly damaged master of the deadly assassin was resurrected by stealing Tremaz's body in mm. uh, the Keeper of Trargan, but he only resurrects for the one body. He doesn't get mm. a new cycle. Mm. I think the resurrection, the uh, regeneration limit thing is. I, I put it down to the Time Lords. I put it down as an imposed limit, and now the Time Lords are no wrong, longer around. You don't have to stick to it. Let's face it, it's a piece of continuity that can be done away with in a single line of dialogue. And they did and it will in Sarah be. Jane Adventures, yeah. I wonder if it undermines the the um, uh, the the gravity of a situation that the Doctor can he actually die? The fact that he's got limitless regenerations theoretically. Well, we know he can. He can die because the, they explained it in the Impossible. I like the idea that they? there was going to be a limit and they were going to have to hit that thirteen at some point and and get over it. While I like that. While he's no, because if there was a limit. And because here's the thing, the program well, is not... So. They think of something, but I was looking forward to that. Well, no, but that's the thing. The program is not going to stop with the 13th Doctor, right? No. It's going to be a 14th Doctor. And if you have to build something into the 13th regeneration, whatever you build in is only going to be an excuse to get your 14th actor. It's never going to be the reason you've got the 14th actor. It's only going to be an excuse to get there. So no matter how brilliantly we write it, mm. that excuse is always going to be unforgivably naff. We're only a couple of regenerations away, we'll find out. So instead, you just you get rid of the limit before you get there. And Russell T. Davis basically did. And yes, you can kill him, because whilst he's regenerating uh, in a possible astronaut, I think he was shot twice, yeah, and yeah. it was explained, even though it wasn't him, it was explained that yeah, he could think, die. You could stamp on his that. face while he's regenerating and he dies, basically. In Pieces of Eight by that well-known writer... Who? <laughs> Don't know, never heard of it. <laughs> There's a scene where I examine exactly that for eight, ten minutes. And uh, the regeneration that's going to be from the seventh to the eighth, the Doctor doesn't think he's going to make it because he is on the moon and there's no atmosphere. And it says specifically, and this is complete fanfic and total retcon, it says... In order for a regeneration to take place, you need to be born into a body that has a good chance of survival. If the body you're being born into has no chance of survival, the regeneration doesn't happen. The doctor just dies. Yeah. I well, agree with know, that. Nobody had put it down in words, so I did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I did. <laughs> uh, what else? What about Melody Pond? Are we going to talk about well, Melody? We are... You know, we've been going for nearly an hour and a half. We weren't well, supposed to Well, that's a big subject. Look, Guy Lambert says, are you going to discuss it beyond just the Doctor? Yes. I've always found <laughs> it weird how the Doctor has quite normal regenerations, but other characters such odd ones. The obvious example is Romana at the start of Destiny of the Daleks. But look at the Master. So weird. So many lives beyond the so-called regeneration mm. limit. What is he now? Is he still a Time Lord? Is he? Cool. Good question. Don't know. Well, well he must be because he... he Regenerated like well, it a turned into a snake thing at the start yeah. of the yeah. TV movie. But any any you know any kind of bodily body corp- 
corporeal was that the word corporeal existence thank you was totally erased at the end of the McGann thing when he got sucked into the vortex so that does you know it was just a he did have a corporeal a existence at the start of the McGann thing <laughs> when he was just a, <laughs> a snake made out of ether juice what <laughs> is that the official word for it? It's in the script. Ether juice. <laughs> Calm down. <sighs> what was the question? But there you go. Is the master Romana's regeneration? Crap. I thought uh, it was a bit of fun. Yeah. How do you want to look at it? It was a bit of fun. All right. They they I think did she that was being young and frivolous. That's what I think. I think she was just throwing away a regeneration for for vanity. That's she wasn't though. I don't think she was throwing them away. I think she was doing. Basically, she was the real body of Romana was behind the scenes. Okay. Right. In another room, and she was literally throwing holograms out, all versions of herself, just like the Watcher. And uh, you know, it's basically showing him. What about this one? What about that one? And then when he finally decided, trapes back and ding, she regenerates. Alternatively. You could look at it in the same way as the Time Lords showing yeah. the Doctor the faces yeah. at the end of the War yeah, Games. Romana's showing the Doctor faces, and she's actually trying them on for size, but she's still just showing them. She's not inhabiting them. She's just showing them. And although she's not as experienced as the Doctor, she is very clearly more clever than the Doctor. When it comes to certain types of things. Hmm. And regeneration, something that she learned all about at the Time Lord Academy when the hmm. Doctor was off playing Truant and whatnot... She's learned how to do it properly. He never has. This is true. Maybe. I, I kind of imagine that Time Lords living on Gallifrey would re- re- literally reach the end of their lifespan through old age mm. and then reach a point where they just decide, oh, it's time for a new body, and then they do it. Mm. And they and they kind of choose. And they choose, yeah. yeah. Whereas the Doctors is always... Imposed. Yes. Apart from the John Perkins The only one, downside the is it has to be a really foreign. bad yeah. line drawing that you get to choose from. You don't get to see a real picture. <laughs> He's too fat. <laughs> He's too old. I don't know why those line drawings remind We've me of the no drawings. Money left. The drawings on the wall in um, Zardos. Remember that? Oh God, <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah, that. yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, what about then the uh, brain of Morbius? Oh God. Well, you that know. confused me. I, I must have seen it when I was a kid because I imagined that there were more doctors back. Prior to See, William I Hartnell didn't for a think that. Time. I thought that by the when it got to William Hartnell, it stopped, and then it was Morbius's body. Oh, right, I yeah. simply yeah. thought that. I thought that too, because mm. Morbius is the one whose head blows up at the end. Yeah. Why would it go all the way back through all the Doctor's regenerations yeah. and none of Morbius's, and then Morbius blow up? Exactly. So I just assumed they were him. No, yeah, fed fed those, but yeah, and it wasn't explained of... necessarily. Well, you know, in afterwards in interviews, you know, the people who put it there have said no, they were supposed to be the Doctor. Well, you can't really argue with that. But no, but it wasn't explained how that, it came across. I think it that's wasn't memory blurring with Target novels because I remember it as a vague recollection of watching it as a kid, and then watching reading the Target novel mm. and thinking, "Oh, there's that scene," like like you do with the Planet of the Daleks. You, yeah. you get this weird concoction of your what you actually saw, and yeah. Mm. But it wasn't explained on screen that those were the Doctor's bodies in words. So I ain't counting it. I'd like to finish up with an email from Ben in Indiana because, well, this is, well, I'll read the email and then you tell me what you think. Hello, Ben. There is one aspect of regeneration I am very grateful for and it has to do with Doctor Who's internal fiction, the sci-fi rules of the show we all agree to go along with. Basically, in terms of the show's internal quote-unquote plausibility, we are extremely lucky that regeneration is explained as a biological process. It is a natural change that all Time Lords go through. Nothing magic, nothing technological. Regeneration is part of simple 
alien biology. <clears throat> oh, actually, it says biology 101, sorry. <laughs> uh, we are so lucky that this is the ongoing reason we have for change, because not only would they have to sell a new actor in the part each time, they'd have to sell a new reason each time the Doctor changes. So just consider for a moment the narrative bullet we all missed by William Hartnell not leaving in The Savages or The Celestial Toymaker, which we talked about yeah, before. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> in The Celestial Toymaker, they would have made the Doctor invisible, but when he reappears, he'd have a different body. Mm. How many times could that have been pulled off over 50 years? That was... Mm. And another idea was the alien brain machine sucking out the Doctor's mind and sticking it into another person's body as seen in The Savages. But, thanks to the Doctor's old body wearing a bit thin explanation in The Tenth Planet, we were spared 50 years of increasingly implausible MacGuffins and wacky schemes <laughs> needed to replace the lead actor. Like maybe a botched facelift or an accident <laughs> with a teleporter? <laughs> <laughs> So, thank you, whoever decided that alien body equals regeneration ability. And also, he's a little PS from Ben. Regeneration is also the key to having a single, long, and somewhat connected canon over several years. Mm -hmm. Doctor Who need never go through the pain of reimagining itself, like Star Trek, Battlestar Galactica, yep. Batman, and so on and so forth. Doctor Who can keep going with a succession of different lead actors, Without having to explain it any further than... Which is why it's the best show in the world. I do feel like you could do another episode purely on the mythos of of regeneration. <laughs> I think we haven't really touched on it. I, I mean, Ben makes some really good points in that email. Was, yeah, he does. Very good. Yeah, that's why I saved that one for the end. Um, <laughs> but a vague recollection. Isn't the, the mythos, or whatever they call it, the legend is that Rassilon was the first to hold off death? And from that point on, all the Time Lords could regenerate... <clears throat> I can't remember where I read that. I think it's probably one of these short stories in the 20th oh, anniversary really? Radio Times thing or something like that. Simon, yeah. let me put it this way. If you want to do a regeneration on that kind of stuff, do it on a week when I don't turn up. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love it. I have I to confess, it. I couldn't be less interested in what they're... How funny. I know. It's, I'm far more interested in why writers do the things they do. Oh, no, that's good. You, you're interested in what's under the bonnet and I look at... The hood. The tyres, yeah. <laughs> I just look at the paintwork. <clears throat> yeah, we've noticed that's got glitter on it. <laughs> and, he, stripes. and it turns out he is a fan of Time and the Rani after all. Who is? It's got glitter on it. F off. <laughs> <laughs> Time and the Rani. Anyway, sorry, you can edit that. I was Jr. Oh, I was Lee. I was Mark. I was Simon. Contact us by email via blueboxpodcast at yahoo.co.uk. Try to put us down. Talking about my rejection. Why is it just me singing?